The following program is recorded content created by the Truth Network. In the aftermath of the overturning of Roe, there is so much more to say, and we're going to say it today. It's time for The Line of Fire with your host, biblical scholar and cultural commentator, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice for moral sanity and spiritual clarity. Call 866-34-TRUTH to get on The Line of Fire. And now, here's your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Welcome, welcome to the broadcast, friends. We are here to see you healthy, thriving, strong in the Lord, to infuse you with faith and truth and courage and wisdom so you can stand. Friends, as the world is swirling around us, we come to the Word of God and the presence of God to get clarity, to get marching orders, to get His heart, His mind, His peace, His will, so we can shine like lights in this world. That's what we're here to do. Welcome, welcome to the broadcast. So glad to be with you. Here's the number to call, 866-34-TRUTH, 866-348-7884. In your world, how is role playing out? What's the response in your family? What's the response in the workplace? What's the response in your church? Are you among those who are rejoicing, celebrating? Are you among those who are grieving and fearful? Are you among those who say, hey, it's important, but we shouldn't be rejoicing because people are hurting? Are you seeing all kinds of extreme reactions on one side or the other? Give me a call, 866-348-7884. Now, we preempted our normal Q&A show on Friday that we do almost without fail. I can't remember the last time we preempted it, but with the overturning of Roe, on Friday morning, it was obviously right and appropriate to do that. But I may be, may be able to get to some of your Bible-related or theology-related or random questions later in the broadcast. So if you wanted to call in Friday and you weren't able because we changed the format, we may take some calls today. So give me a call, 866-348-7884. There's another major ruling, very important ruling in the Supreme Court today, an important ruling for religious liberty. We're going to talk about that as well. Uh, we're going to talk about the fact that from the get-go, as even many liberal legal scholars recognize, from the get-go, Roe was bad law, regardless of how you identify as pro-choice or pro-life or whatever. The fact is that Roe was always bad law, and Roe was waiting to be overturned simply because it was bad law. That's why, in the vast, vast, vast majority of cases, everyone I've seen thus far, the, the, hy the hysteria, the anger, the attacks, the speaking against the Supreme Court, the people wanted to hurt Supreme Court justices, or as my producers were just telling me, wishing that the, the kids of, of Supreme Court justices would be raped so they would know, quote, how it feels, and now you can't get an abortion. So, I mean, that's the way it's being painted and portrayed, right? So what's interesting is you virtually don't see anyone challenging Justice Alito's decision on, on pure legal grounds. Well, we had precedent. We had precedent. Okay, what if it's a bad precedent? Supreme Court has been celebrated for reversing bad precedents from previous generations, right? That's an important thing. It's a course correction, saying, hey, at that time we made a wrong decision. Now we fixed it. So precedent alone is not the argument. 
But when you're looking, okay, so here, just give me your responses. Show me where Justice Alito erred. Show me his, his bad legal reasoning. It's not there. And it's not because he was so brilliant, although he is brilliant. Anyone in the Supreme Court is going to be a brilliant uh, jurist. But it's not just because he's brilliant. It's because Roe was that bad. Roe was that bad in terms of law. So we're going to dissect that and analyze for it that for you as well. You know, I'm not a lawyer. I'm certainly not a legal scholar. Or if I'm not a lawyer, I'm obviously not a legal scholar. But there are enough people putting things out for all of us to understand. We'll go through that. All right. First, should we be rejoicing now? Should we be celebrating? Should we be praising God? Should we be, in a sense, spiritually euphoric over what's taking place? Obviously, those who identify as pro-choice or pro-abortion, of course not. They're angry, they're upset, their world's collapsed on them. They're acting as if abortion has been banned all across America, whereas in fact, the people say, this is going to overthrow democracy. This is going to overthrow democracy. No, no, this gets us back to the democratic process. Let the people decide. Let the people decide how? State by state. That's why some states are becoming increasingly pro-abortion. You can't just say pro-choice. You got to say pro-abortion, to be honest, and others are becoming increasingly pro-life. And may the Lord make a distinction in those states. May, may he make clear that he values life and esteems life and that he is absolutely against the shedding of innocent blood. May, may the Lord make that clear so that eyes will be open and we can have a culture of life in America. But others are saying, look, I, I'm pro-life, but so many women are upset. They're hurting. They're grieving. They grew up with this. Maybe their mothers grew up with it. Maybe in some cases their grandmothers grew up with it. And now they're thinking, what, what about this it now? It's, I'm going to have to go to another state or overcome this obstacle, that obstacle, or to get an abortion. And, and it seems like others are imposing their will on them. So, hey, let's just be sympathetic to those who are hurting and fearful. And, and, and we can yeah, be thankful. Let's do it quietly, not public celebration. All right, I, I'm sensitive to that. And this is not our time to gloat. Absolutely not. And you never want to gloat as a, as a believer until the final destruction of the wicked on that day, but then we'll just be in awe of, of, of the righteousness and goodness of God. But we don't want to gloat. No, no, there's no gloating here. And, and we always want to be sensitive. This is not the time to win a debate like, ah, see. No, this is the time to reach out. This is the time you have a coworker or a family member that's very upset. Say, hey, tell me why you're upset. And, and how do you see this? And then just try to get back to it. It's a baby in the womb. It's a baby. It's real life. That not that the big issue? And can you see from our viewpoint why this is so important? So having said that we need to be sensitive and reach out, should we give thanks, rejoice? Yes. Yes. A thousand times yes. I've got an article that should go up later today or tomorrow on five reasons why Christians should be celebrating and rejoicing. Here's number one. This is a massive answer to prayer. A massive answer to prayer. This has been decades and decades of prayer. This has been day and night prayer. This has been sacrificial prayer. I know some of the prayer leaders in the pro-life movement. I know how they've given themselves to this. I know the prayer, the fasting, the crying out, the massive rallies. We're not a word of, of ugliness or hate was spoken against others, but rather a call for prayer and supplication and repenting of our own sins. 
So when God dramatically answers prayer, to not give thanks is ungratefulness. To not give thanks is actually irreverent. To not get thank, give thanks is actually rebuked by Jesus in the Bible. When, when, when he heals the, the 10 lepers and only one comes back to give him praise, he says, only, only one, 10 were healed, only one comes back to give thanks. So yes, this is a time to celebrate because first and foremost, it's an answer to prayer. And we need to be profoundly grateful to God and say, thank you, thank you, thank you for making this happen. And certainly in the most unlikely way with some of the most unlikely characters. Here's a second reason, and this is obviously what many would think of first, but I do believe first and foremost, we should be thanking God. But then the next reason is babies' lives are going to be saved. There are people that are going to think twice about an abortion. There are women who, instead of going to Planned Parenthood, if it doesn't exist in their, in their city or an abortion clinic in their city, will go to a pregnancy crisis center and will find out about compassionate alternatives to adoption. And although the hysteria is going to win the day for the moment, in other words, the worst case scenarios and Americans, and, oh, no, what's going to happen next because of the fear mongering. As things settle, they're, they're going to be more and more understanding the importance of life in the womb. And the, it will not just be abortion as a given. So babies' lives will be saved as a result. That is massive. And, and the cry of the people for the, for the unborn will be heard. That's, that's massive. So that's another reason uh, to be giving thanks. Here, here's number three. A massive injustice was reversed. A massive injustice was reversed. God hates unjust laws. God grieves over evil decrees. And throughout the word, when injustice is reversed, when justice reigns, whenever that happens, that's a cause for rejoicing and thanksgiving. So first reason, prayers, decades of prayers have been answered. That's why we give thanks and rejoice. Secondly, babies' lives will be saved. How massive is that? Whether it's one, whether it's 10, whether it's 1,000, whether it's 100,000, whether it's a million, over time, the numbers will be staggering, but every single life counts. Number three, a massive injustice was reversed. Number four, many women's lives will be saved. So it gives you the right to say that I'm, I'm just basing it on all the calls we've had on this broadcast over the last 14 years now, all the calls that we've had from women who had abortions, who were hurt by it personally, who were wounded, who were scarred. I'm talking about for a period of years or decades. Some of them carried those wounds until they were born again. Others, even as born-again believers, still have a great sensitivity there, and that wound can be opened at any time. So many women's lives will be saved as well. Obviously, pro-abortion, pro-choice women look at this as anything but positive now. This is their worst nightmare confirmed. But in the end, this will be good for women too. Therefore, we should give thanks. And then number five, we can now make the argument for life on a national level because it's a national debate again. In other words, 
rather than, well, Roe is the law. That's the reality. And you got these fringe, fanatical, fundamentalist pro-lifers who want to impose their religious dogma on the nation. And Okay, obviously, those on the left, those that are pro-abortion will still make that argument and try to demonize us and caricature us. But the fact is this, this discussion is going to be had state by state by state by state. And it's going to come before voters more. So this opens a door for us to now present the argument for life on a consistent basis, to, to, to disseminate it more and more widely. And, and with women having so much more access to ultrasound and so much more being known about pregnancy and viability ages getting younger and younger, it's a great opportunity for, for us afresh to make the argument for life. Let's seize the moment. Let's give thanks. And let's reach out with sensitivity and compassion. We'll be right back. We come back on to start off with the court's new ruling today. Exciting news. Stay here. The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get on the Line of Fire by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Thanks, friends, for joining us on the Line of Fire. Hey, if, if you say, well, I'm a Christian, I'm pro-choice, give me a call. Make your case. Share your views. If you say, look, you know, I think the Bible's ambiguous on this, or... Look, we can't just make this such a central issue. We just have to reach people with the gospel, and this is distraction. I'd love to hear from you. 866-348-7884. But for those who many, for many years have said, it doesn't matter who we have in the White House. It's not going to affect abortion. So I'm, I'm going to vote on other issues, but abortion is not going to be central to me, as it has been for me, speaking, Michael Brown, and, and for many other pro-life believers. Well, the fact of the matter is, if we had Hillary Clinton in the White House instead of Donald Trump, we might not have even had this discussion about overturning of, of Roe in our lifetimes. It might never have come up again because the Supreme Court would have been so slanted in a different direction. So it does turn out that who we vote for matters. It does turn out that who we vote for can affect even issues having to do with abortion or redefining marriage or things like that. that those are those are realities. There, yes, there are other issues, but these are massive. I believe massive in God's sight. Like to me, if I lived in the days of slavery, right? If you lived in the days of slavery, would you be a one-issue voter? All right, well, this candidate is really strong on the economy. He's, he's really strong on national defense. He's got a great vision for family, a strong Christian values in so many other ways, but is militantly pro-slavery. It's a bit of a contradiction there. He's militantly pro-slavery. This other candidate will absolutely do everything he can to abolish slavery in America, to emancipate the slaves. Uh, he's not as strong in the economy, not as strong on national defense. His overall Christian values, I mean, he doesn't quote the Bible much. Uh, the second guy's got my vote because I'm, I'm one issue at that point until we deal with that great evil in our land. That's how abortions been to me and to many others for years. The top issue that we look at, and then we evaluate the others for sure. But that's, that's the top one that slants things dramatically. For me, that's why I, again, I'm, I'm not condemning you, all right? I'm not condemning you saying you're not a believer if you differ with me, all right? But for me, 
I could never vote for a pro-abortion candidate. Well, the other choice, okay, then we sit out that, that vote. We vote for others, but we don't vote there. It's not the end of the world. If we can't cast a vote out of conscience, it's not the end of the world. We can still be believers. We can still make an impact in the world in which we live. Okay, the Coach Kennedy case. Uh, let me just give you the details of that. Uh, this is a football coach who, at, at uh, the end of a game, would, while people are doing other things and just completely on his own, would go to the middle of the field, get down on his knees and pray. If students wanted to join with him, fine. Someone else joined with him, fine. But that's just a private thing that he did. And he lost his job at the school over that, all right? So the court voted 6-3. Uh, this expands the rights of individuals to religious expression when they work for a public employer. Uh, and again, any teammates that wanted to join him could do so. But, well, no, this was his imposing his religion, and it could give a bad appearance. So this is the beginning of Justice Gorsuch's ruling, again, 6-3 ruling, on behalf of Coach Kennedy and on behalf of religious liberties in America. This is another big one. So here's what he says. Joseph Kennedy lost his job as a high school football coach because he knelt at midfield after games to offer a quiet prayer of thanks. Mr. Kennedy, I think we've got this on slides so you can follow along if you're watching. Mr. Kennedy prayed during a period when school employees were free to speak with a friend, call for a reservation at a restaurant, check email, or attend to other personal matters. He offered his prayers quietly while the students were otherwise occupied. Still, the Bremerton School District disciplined him anyway. It did so because it thought anything less could lead a reasonable observer to conclude mistakenly that it endorsed Mr. Kennedy's religious beliefs. That reasoning was misguided. Both the free exercise and free speech clauses of the First Amendment protect expressions like Mr. Kennedy's. Nor does a proper understanding of the Amendment's Establishment Clause require the government to single out private religious speech for special disfavor. The Constitution and the best of our traditions counsel mutual respect and tolerance, not censorship and suppression for religious and non-religious views alike. Of course, a good and simple and logical ruling. Of course, this is right. And I'm glad the Supreme Court got it right. As one of my colleagues pointed out, kind of disturbing that it wasn't 9-0. That three others say, no, you can't. You're a public employee. Think of this. You can walk and talk with people. You can get a coffee. You can do a victory dance. You can high five it. You can just sit quietly and think, but you can't pray. Think of that. <laughs> that's, that's, to the extent, quote, separation of church and state is rightly understood. That's one of the issues, that the state will not impose itself over the church. That's part of the whole issue here. All right, I'm going to go to the phones in a little while. But first, let me, let me take you through a couple of articles uh, having to do with the legality of Roe v. Wade. This is from the conservative website, National Review, and it says, yes, overturn Roe. It was written by Kevin Williamson, who uh, was writing regularly for National Review, May of 2021. May of 2021. I just want to read the opening lines. He said, of course, 
the Supreme Court should take the first opportunity to throw out Roe v. Wade. It is an indefensible decision and always has been. It, it, it's always been indefensible. It's never been a good legal decision, to repeat, as many liberal legal scholars agree. Here's another article. This is the Los Angeles Times. So known as a left-leaning liberal publication for many, many years, David Savage, a regular writer for the Los Angeles Times, so I'm just assuming that he himself would be liberal, left-leaning, it's entitled, and this was written May of 2022, it's May of this year, it's entitled Where Roe Went Wrong, a sweeping new abortion right built on a shaky legal foundation. And he says this, Roe versus Wade, the Supreme Court's best-known decision of the last 50 years, is also its most endangered precedent. It gave women nationwide the legal right to choose abortion, but the backlash reshaped the country's politics. The landmark ruling may well be overturned by conservative justices appointed by Republican presidents to do just that. What went wrong with Roe? Why did the court's effort to resolve the abortion controversy in 1973 lead instead to decades of division? He says legal scholars and political scientists point to major missteps at the start that left the decision vulnerable. In Roe, the justice announced a broad new constitutional right to abortion that is not explicitly found in the words or the history of the Constitution. Justice Henry A. Blackman, who authored the Long Row Opinion, included the medical history of abortion, citing the views of Persians, Greeks, and Romans, and quoting two versions of the Hippocratic Oath and early English authors dating to the 13th century. He did not, however, quote a provision in the Constitution that protected abortion, abortion rights. That omission is cited in the draft opinion currently being circulated by conservative justices as they prepare to overturn Roe. In the words of Justice Alito, the Constitution makes no reference to abortion and no such right is implicitly protected by any constitutional provision. And he said Roe's reasoning was exceptionally weak. Blackman based his ruling on the idea that the Constitution protects a broad right to privacy, which is implied by the 14th Amendment. The amendment says no state shall deprive any person of life, liberty or property without any due process of law. The court had cited this privacy right before, most notably in 1965, to strike down a Connecticut law that made it a crime for married couples to use contraceptives. While the Constitution, quote, does not explicitly mention any right of privacy, Blackman wrote, its protection for personal liberty and privacy, quote, is broad enough to encompass a woman's decision whether or not to terminate her pregnancy. Conservatives regularly cite Roe as an example of liberals finding new constitutional rights and provisions or language never intended for such purposes. When the 14th Amendment was adopted in 1868, abortion was illegal in three-fourths of the states. In 1973, when the court decided abortion was, quote, a fundamental personal right, 46 states prohibited most or nearly all abortions. Savage notes that even some prominent scholars who supported legal abortion derided the court's opinion. Yale Law Professor John Hart Eli former clerk to Justice, uh, Chief Justice Earl Warren said, it's a very bad decision because it is not constitutional law and it gives almost no sense of obligation to try to be. Those critics included the young Ruth Bader Ginsburg. 
In the years before she became a justice, she said the court made a mistake by going too far, too fast in its first ruling on the constitutionality of abortion. And in her view, you should have had a little by little process and that would have settled the matter. Instead, you stirred up the pro-life movement and the pro-life cause like never before. Even the idea of viability, even the idea of viability, Blackman said abortion should be legal through the first three months of pregnancy. Uh, this is arbitrary, but perhaps any other selected points, such as quickening or viability, is equally arbitrary. It was suggested, well, point of viability is between the 24th and 28th week of pregnancy. So Blackman changed the final opinion to say, okay, that's what we do. Bad, bad, bad law. Thank God for a host of reasons that the court did what was legally and morally and constitutionally right. We're going to your calls on the other side of the break. The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get on the Line of Fire by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. You know, over the weekend, well, if you start Friday and then the rest of the weekend, I think I wrote four new articles relating to Roe v. Wade and our response and what we should be doing as believers. I don't want you to miss a single one of those we want to equip you with each of them i was having lunch after speaking in texas on saturday before flying to florida later that day to speak sunday as we we're having lunch sitting with pastors and leaders and the wife of one of the pastors said you say what we want to say but we don't know how to say so we are here to be your voice of moral cultural and spiritual revolution friends and it's our joy to take the hits to be the 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 target to be the public dartboard that others aim at we're glad to take that and then say, hey, here are great resources for you. So take a moment, go to askdrbrown.org, askdrbrown.org, take you 30 seconds, put in your name, email address. We want to write to you, be in touch with you, keep you alerted, keep you on the front lines every single week. Here are the latest articles we put out. You get one email for all the articles for the week. Here are the latest videos. During, quote, Pride Month, which should be known as Life Month now in honor of the overturning of Roe v. Wade at the end of the month. But in honor of Pride Month, we've been putting out some of our best videos from the past, links to them where we expose what's really happening with some of this destructive activism, where we give you biblically-based perspective and solutions and reach out to those who differ at the same time. So once a week, you get a video, uh, an email, here are the videos, and then brand new resources that are becoming available You'll be the first to know. So take a moment. Go to askdrbrown.org. Sign up for our emails, and then we will put you right in our welcome list, and you'll be hearing from us, getting some great info. Trust me. You'll be blessed. You will be. I really mean that. All right. We go to the phones. Let's start in Rock Island, Tennessee. Misty, welcome to the line of fire. Good afternoon, Dr. Brown. I want to first say that I really appreciate you and I appreciate your ministry. I believe that God has placed you as a spearhead in this end time. And yeah, I just want to say I really um, 
look forward to all of your articles and everything that you're doing for God. Thank you. I appreciate that. You're welcome. Thank you. So we're talking Roe versus Wade. It's been the best weekend. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just got back from the beach, and I was at the beach when I got the news, and I was just glued to everyone celebrating. I just have an issue because our church didn't celebrate, and it made me really grieved in my spirit. And I just think there's so much disinformation about what has taken place that the church is being silent. There's just, it's just so confusing to me right now. Yeah, and Misty, you know, you're, you're hitting on something which is important, namely that there's a tremendous amount of misinformation before the general public. And, and a lot of it's coming from people who really know better. But it is fear-mongering, and both sides can be guilty of fear-mongering at different sides. I understand that. Media on both sides, fear-mongers all the time. I understand that. Christian leaders on both sides, secular people, fear-mongering is common. But we're watching it in front of our eyes. So the idea is that the overturning of Roe has now banned abortion for all circumstances, even the life of the mother, in all states across the union. Of course, that's not what happened. This just now pushes things back to individual states. In other words, New York, which has horrific pro-abortion laws, those didn't get shot down, right? And and Mississippi, which led the way with this Dobbs case, well, now that law that was shot down is not shot down. Now the pro-life legislation can go into effect. But the, the anger is such, the fear is such, the rage is such that some believers like, well, we should temper our thanksgiving. No, this is a time to be shouting praises to God and on our face weeping with thanksgiving that something so monstrous and so evil and so destructive in so many ways in our culture that was here for almost 50 years. It's, it's miraculous that it's overturned. God never spoke to me, gave me a promise or a word that I would live to see it overturned. The other things I do believe he's promised me, but, but I, I never got a specific promise from God that I would live to see it overturned. That means I, I was praying, I was hoping, I was crying out with others, I was joining with others, I, I was supporting. My, my role has really been to support the, the leaders that have been on the front lines and to be a voice for them. But to see it happen, yes, we should be thankful and praising God. And it should have been a point of thanksgiving in your local assembly on Sunday. Hey, Misty, thank you for calling in. I appreciate it. 866-34-TRUTH. Uh, let's go to Andrew in Gaithersburg, Maryland. Welcome to the line of fire. Hello? Go ahead, sir. Hello. Oh, hey, hey Dr. Brown. Um, I, my, I, too, am very happy about the decision to overturn Roe versus Wade. And there's also one thing I that went wrong. Um, can, can you hear me? Uh, go ahead, please. Keep talking. All right. All right. But when I was at work or something, my well, actually, my parent who I work with said this that this said that the same Supreme Court is that overturned Roe is the same that's allowing allowing guns to allow people to kill one another. 
And when I heard that, I found it bizarre because it was not, because not only did he say that he was against abortion, but just the overall vibe was kind of a buzzkill in my opinion. So it's been kind of difficult. Yeah, well, the, the, the fact is the, the major gun ruling from the Supreme Court was just saying that New York laws went too far and violated Second Amendment rights. That's all. Again, it's just a legal ruling that the, the court is saying we need to uphold what's written. Yes, we should be having a healthy national debate over access to certain guns and where all types of weapons included in the Second Amendment. And can we do a better job with background checks? And what can we do to save lives and keep guns out of the hands of people that shouldn't have them? And there should be a healthy discussion across America. But the Supreme Court is not coming out. We are every we want every 18 year old to have an AK-47. No, it's so, so don't let anyone compare apples with oranges. Don't let them throw that at you. All right. Just say, here's the ruling. Let's focus on that, because that is of massive importance. And it's, it's that simple. It's that simple. Do not get off point. And we're not praising the court for every decision, right? There are certain decisions that this court made that we found grievous, even with Trump-appointed justices, went in the wrong direction. Major case last year that we were grieved over, all right? Overall, it's done a lot of good in many, many cases and, and done what should be done, as I understand what's right constitutionally and, and on the foundation of our nation. But just focus on this. Is this good or bad? Well, then let's rejoice. Then let's rejoice. And in the secular world, I'm expecting people to have a totally different perspective. I'm not expecting them to rejoice with me. I want to sit with them. Say, why do you feel that way? And let's just try to focus on, okay, well, what do you find fault with, with Alito's ruling? And where, where is the constitutional right, the so-called constitutional right to abortion? Where is it? And if that baby is a human being, doesn't that baby have the right to pursue life, liberty, and happiness? All right, hey, thank you for the call, 866-34-TRUTH. Uh, we go to Michelle in Kernersville, North Carolina. You are on the line of fire. Hi. Hey. Um, I am definitely pro-life, but I do have a lot of friends that have a lot of concerns that I understand that. Like, I have a friend that uh, had mentioned that there's, you know, 12,000, foster children out there with maybe 8,000 foster families um, just in North Carolina because there's not enough people to take care of the children. That was a very good point. That, you know, not that I hadn't thought about it before, but it certainly was a very good point. And then, you know, the cost of adoption is an issue. We have a, uh, a daughter and her husband who have adopted two children, but it was very costly for them to do that. So I think if this with this issue, we should go ahead and and refocus our funds and all of that to make sure that these children that are going to be born, which I want them to be born, um, have someone to take care of them if they're given up or or whatever. If, if that makes sense. Yeah. Oh, ab absolutely. And, and all the ministries, organizations that I've worked with, pro life for years, they have been holistic. As, as I was with a pastor yesterday, and, and he started be, before he turned things over to me, he said, hey, we want to rejoice, Roe v. Wade. He said, this church stands for life from the womb to the tomb. So the organizations that, that I've worked with, they help the, the mothers and fathers that want to have their children, or they work with adoption agencies and things like that. So 
And in fact, evangelical Christians and other other conservative Christians are leading the way in adoption movement and many more getting involved in foster care. So I would say, yeah, you're absolutely right. But here's what's interesting. In many cases, probably most cases, there's no strong, compelling reason for the woman not to have the baby. The the majority of abortions are still going to be more convenience related than anything else. So if people really think more, of course, there are unwanted, unexpected pregnancies and things like that. And we don't want to minimize the, the horror of rape or incest, maybe less than 1% of all cases of abortion. We don't, want to, we don't want to minimize one of those. All right. But in the vast majority of cases, or at least in many cases, the couple can have the child. So that's where it starts. Right. And, and you won't have so many that need to be given up to adoption or that end up in the foster care system. That's one thing. Second, yes, the church needs to continue to step up here. And that's a constant theme I'm hearing from believers. Let's step up. Let's step up. Let's step up. Thirdly, I wonder, Michelle, I haven't researched this, but I wonder if babies being put up for adoption decreased after Roe v. Wade. I'm wondering. In other words, did, did all these babies being terminated in the womb lower the need for babies to be adopted? Uh, on the flip side, what about people waiting for years to adopt children. In many cases, there are more people waiting to adopt. And I've been told if someone wants to have a baby, they can find someone to adopt. The mother gives birth and right away that very day, people will be there to adopt. So I think there's a lot more to the story. I'd say, yeah, great points. Let's stand together as a church and make a difference. All right, friends, we'll be right back. I want to give you some specific reasons but it was right to overturn Roe, then we'll go back to your call. Stay right here. The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get on the Line of Fire by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Thanks for joining us, friends, on the Line of Fire. Michael Brown, delighted to be with you. We are planning to announce our next tour to Israel. It's been delayed a few years, but ready to go back, God willing, next May. It's going to be exceptional in many, many ways, even stepped up in certain ways to make it more enjoyable while you're there. But make sure you find out about that by getting our emails. Ask Dr. Brown, ASKDRBrown.org, 866-34-TRUTH. Newsweek, which has really been posting a lot of articles on both sides of culture war issues and things like that. I've been impressed by... By what it's, I was, I've been very surprised actually, because I would have thought of it as just leaning left and, and posting things in that way as a norm. But there's a lot on both sides. So there's an article by Ryan T. Anderson and Elect- Alexandra DeSanctis uh, from the Ethics and po- Public Policy Center. Roe was wrong the day it was decided. The Supreme Court did the right thing. Let me read that headline again. Roe was wrong. The day it was decided, the Supreme Court did the right thing. And they start the article 
by explaining what happened with heartbeat bills that were passed in 2019 and then the pushback against them and now what has happened with Roe. And it's a great article, very useful, clearly written, as, as you'd expect from the authors. And then another article, I want to go through this quickly. Uh, this is the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops, uh, Suzanne E. Wills, 10 Legal Reasons to Reject Roe. And this is the Respect Life Program 2003. All right? So this is not a brand new article. But as I've been saying repeatedly through the broadcast, Roe has always been bad law. Casey in 1992, I think I may have referred to as Casey V. Miller instead of Casey V. Planned Parenthood, which is funny because I had just done a podcast for one of our missionaries, Eric Miller, and his wife is Casey. So I probably had that in the back of my head. If you're listening, like, what? I, I think I said that on, on Friday. In any case, in any case, um, so the, the KCB Planned Parenthood in 1992 just made things worse. But here are the, the 10 reasons. It's a lengthy article and lengthy introduction. I'm just skipping through that. 10 legal reasons to condemn Roe. One, the court's decision in Roe v. Wade exceeded its constitutional authority. That's number one. Number two, the court misrepresents the history of abortion practice and attitudes towards abortion. Number three, the majority opinion in Roe wrongly characterizes the common law of England regarding the status of abortion. Number four, the court distorts the purpose and legal weight of state criminal abortion statutes. Number five, a privacy right to decide to have an abortion has no foundation in the text or history of the Constitution. And number six, oh, I skipped, there we go. Although it reads the 14th Amendment extremely expansively to include a right to privacy to decide whether to abort a child, the court in Roe adopts a very narrow construction of the meaning of persons to exclude unborn children. Number seven, the Roe court assumed the role of a legislature in establishing the trimester framework. And number eight, what Roe gives, Doe takes away. Number nine, the court describes the right to abortion as fundamental. Number 10, despite the rigid specificity of the trimester framework, the opinion gives little guidance to states concerning the permissible scope of abortion regulation. In short, it was a bad decision. And, and the opinion written by Harry Blackman was a bad opinion, especially without constitutional foundation. Those of you who are upset with the decision, take the time to read through Justice Alito's decision. Have I done it? No, I've not done all of it. I've talked to legal scholars who've done that, and I've read articles about it and read excerpts of it, all right? But I myself am not a legal scholar, so I'm, I'm again, gleaning from others so that I can just simplify it for everyone here. Otherwise, if I start getting into the depth of his decision, it, no one will be edified except for the, the lawyers out there, all right? But there are plenty of articles laying it out. Show us, those of us who are rejoicing, show us on a legal constitutional basis why the decision is wrong. All right, 866-34-TRUTH. I want to go back to the phones. Let's go to James in Atlanta, Georgia. Welcome to the line of fire. James, are you there? Oh, why? Yeah, sorry. 
<laughs> Go ahead. Hey, Dr. Brown, how are you? Doing fine, thank you. Uh, Dr. Brown, I just, I um, I wanted to bring up, uh, I, I know we're talking um, about uh, uh, just, I, I don't know if you're aware of uh, uh, Donald Trump's uh, son-in-law, uh, Jared Kushner. Wait, what about? I, uh, I, I know this is, it's going to sound strange, but I, I had a, you know, I, I didn't even know who he was, but I had a dream about him about two years ago. And uh, I know this is so strange, but I, I had a, you know, and I, I personally, I voted for Donald Trump and, and everything. So this was very out of nowhere. I, I actually had a, had a dream that, that he was the Antichrist. I'm, I'm not saying this is real. I don't take it. But I actually did some research on him. And I don't know if you're aware, he's doing all these Abrahamic Accords. He has a he has an organization, Abraham Accord. Um, he's he's, an, or, he's, he's, an, orth, he's an Orthodox Jew. He's an Orthodox yeah. Jew. His, his story is well known. His wife, Ivanka, converted to Judaism to marry him. They're Sabbath-observing yeah. Orthodox I'm, Jews. And obviously right. I'm, I'm, I'm Jewish as well. I, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm just saying that I, it was very strange. To, you know, I, did, I didn't even know he was doing all these and uh, it was very strange. Like in my dream, I, it, you know, and I, and I voted for Trump. You know, the second time. Um, well, but, tell, tell you, know, you what, here, just just to be helpful <laughs> here, so we don't get too far off track. Just to be helpful, uh, I have crazy dreams all the time. I have bizarre dreams all the time. I have dreams. If they were real, the world would be the craziest thing imaginable, beyond imaginable. And, uh, you know, I'm in the wrong place at the wrong time or this uh, just crazy, bizarre, strange, weird dreams. There's nothing prophetic about them. There is nothing prophetic about them. And while Jared Kushner is not a believer in Jesus, right, I, I, there's, here, let me just say this. If I had to come up with a list of a thousand people that I expected to be the Antichrist, he would not be on the list. So just it was a dream. Ignore it. And if you're going to research, there's just enough stuff about a mainstream. You don't have to try to find out some secret information about him. If anything, he would have been a, a bit of a more liberal force within the Trump White House. I remember friends who voted for Trump said, we didn't vote for Jared and Ivanka. They would have been considered more liberal. They, they would have been more quick to post something, uh, you know, uh, congratulations on Gay Pride Month or something like that, that the White House wouldn't wouldn't have done and and so he he's what would be called modern orthodox right so ben shapiro would be modern orthodox so you have the ultra orthodox which is is much more conservative and observant and and would be outwardly in that way you'd, you'd never see jared kushner without a yarmulke and mo most of the men would would have full beards and things like that you know other outward identifications so he'd be modern orthodox, probably a little bit to the left of, of a Ben Shapiro, who's modern orthodox as well. In, in any case, just some different ideologies, but nothing nefarious there. It's just a dream. Dismiss it, forget about it, and get on with majoring on the majors. Hey, but thank you for calling in. <clears throat> okay, one other thing, you're going to hear a lot of misinformation in the days ahead. I have an article that's up on our website, AskDrBrown.org, on responding to, quote, pro-choice 
misinformation and disinformation. In the article, I cover these misconceptions or even lies. You so-called pro-lifers only care about the fetus in the womb. We care about living human beings, about babies and children. Well, again, as I said to a previous caller, pro-lifers are, are leading the way in the adoption movement. Many are heavily involved in foster care. That's why they do it, because they're Christian. And the pro-life organizations, go to lovelife.org. Check out lovelife.org and see if their approach is not holistic. Uh, for the vast majority of the people on the right, this is a power struggle between the right and the left rather than a moral struggle. Although the abortion issue is used for leverage, it's really all about power. Maybe for political leaders on the left or right who leverage this for political power. But I, I know many key leaders involved in the pro-life movement for decades, and it's about one thing, saving the lives of babies and also helping mothers and fathers. But first and foremost, saving the lives of babies. This is just one. Now, maybe people are projecting for their own sinful hearts, but this is just a lie that's being put forward. This is all about men wanting to control women's bodies. Well, then why are many, if not most, of pro-life leaders and activists women? Hmm. And again, I know many of the men involved in the front lines. It's never once occurred to them to want to control a woman's body in terms of why they're doing what they're doing. They're doing what they're doing because of their love for babies, for children, for life. Scientists agree that life does not begin at conception. It's only religious fundamentalists who make that argument. Quite the contrary, as we talked about last week. It's been discovered by recent surveys by secular universities that the vast majority of biologists, and, and they identify largely as liberal or many atheists, they agree. Well, the vast, over 90%, life begins at conception. Let's overcome lies with truth, hatred with love, anger with the Spirit of God. We'll be back tomorrow. Another program powered by the Truth Network.